0: Welcome to the Whistler Newsroom. I'm Christina Borgeson. As most Americans struggle with exploding prices for gas, food, and practically everything else they need to survive, political titans in Washington are using their tax dollars to pay for dirty, illegal operations that are international in scope and involve multiple U.S. government agencies to fight each other. These fights are for control over the agencies and institutions of government to fulfill agendas that wildly enrich themselves and their private sector associates and keep their crimes covered up while further bleeding Americans dry financially, shredding the rule of law, and it appears paving the way for the destruction of the U.S. as a nation state. This has been going on for a long time, and it has been a bipartisan ballgame, a game that has mostly been hidden from public view. Why? Because of an unwritten code both parties adhere to for their mutual self-preservation. My guest today is Paul Manafort, ex-President Donald Trump's former presidential campaign manager. In this hour, he explains what that code is and says that recent events represent a break in the code and what the consequences might be. Manafort also lifts the veil on activities behind the most recent ongoing U.S. political titans operation, which has been to eliminate Trump from their ranks. Russian collusion was a centerpiece of that operation. Manafort has just published a book titled Political Prisoner, Persecuted, Prosecuted, But Not Silenced, in which he describes how the Russian collusion operation led to his own imprisonment. Welcome, Mr. Manafort.
1: Well, it's great to be here. and look forward to talking to you this morning today.
0: I want to do this in timeline fashion, this interview, because I think context is everything when you're telling a story like yours. Let's start with 2014, because in 2014, you were working for the Ukrainian president, right? Yanukovych. You had been working for quite a long time to try and get the Ukraine accepted as part of the European Union. Correct. You've been doing that for almost 10 years, right?
1: It It was just about 10 years, yes.
0: And then Putin squeezed the Ukraine right from from joining yeah.
1: yeah but putin was very much opposed to ukraine being a part of uh, of europe in fact he created as an offset when we started to make application to europe uh the, what he called the customs union which was a, a trading group of of russia kazakhstan and belarus and the key to that whole group was going to be ukraine but Yanukovych said, no, I'm not going to join the Customs Union. Uh, we're, we're applying to be part of, of the European community. And he couldn't be in both. So he had to choose. And he chose Europe for a lot of reasons, which I talk about in the book. But principally because they didn't want to, even the ethnic Russian Ukrainians and the eastern part of Ukraine didn't want to be part of Russia. They wanted to be part of Europe. The, Russian, the Ukrainian oligarchs uh, wanted to be part of Europe. Why? Because it, Europe was a, a, a bigger market. They didn't want the, the Ukrainian oligarchs were treated like kids by the, by the Russians, uh, not as important businessmen. And, and so Eastern Ukrainians and, and, and Russia, uh, Ukrainian oligarchs wanted Europe. Yanukovych was solidly committed to Europe. In fact, he was elected president in 2010. Uh, and his first trip was to Brussels. Uh, oh, as,
0: interesting.
1: Uh, and that infuriated Putin. And and he went there for the symbolic purpose of showing that his government, contrary to what uh, his opponents were saying, was not committed to going to or leaning towards Russia, but becoming part of the European community. And then everything he did for those four years, and I was intimately involved with him on it, was changing the economic structure, the legal structure the regulatory uh, administrative structures to comport with European community guidelines. 2014, when there was a European community annual meeting in Vilnius, uh, the intention was for Yanukovych to sign the what was called associate, association papers, which was the trade relationship between Europe and Ukraine. Um, and that was going to open up Ukraine to the European market. Uh, until then, it was, there were a lot of barriers. There were... Uh, their high tariffs, and as part of the negotiations, we had to remove all those tariffs, so that Ukraine was going to be a totally open society, which meant that for the first year or two of membership, the the trade situation was going to be definitely in favor of the Europeans, because the Europeans could move into the Ukrainian market immediately, but the Ukrainian businesses couldn't move uh, into the European markets by design of the Europeans. Um, And so when Putin finally realized that Yanukovych was going to Vilnius to sign, and and he he announced publicly, this is all public information, he announced publicly that if Ukraine signs the agreements in Vilnius, he will shut down 100% of all trade between Russia and Ukraine, which at that time was about 70% of Ukraine's business. So on a combination of shutting down 70% of the business, and the, Ukra- and the Europeans having a two-year advantage on trade, European co- U- U- Ukrainian companies would have gone bankrupt. So Yanukovych said to me, go to Brussels and try and work out uh, a subsidy to bridge the, uh, this two years in, of Europe so that I can ease the pain of the European entry. So I did. I dealt with the, uh, the uh, Commission of Enlargement and, and with uh, Barroso's office, who was the president. And they told me no. They said well, no because Ukraine is it's a corrupt country. There's no question. Everybody's corrupted. it. And uh, my focus was for, honestly on trying to get Ukraine into Europe, not rooting out corruption, which I had no chance of doing. Um, but the Europeans said, if we give you the subsidy you're asking for, it'll be the money will be stolen. I said, put strings on it. You monitor it. We can we can put all kinds of of protections they wouldn't do it so why do you
0: think they wouldn't do it
1: the ugly little secret is the europeans talk the talk but they don't walk the walk uh the germans were basically uh, i won't say puppets but they were certainly pawns in 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 russia's game i mean putin did the uh the Stream 2 project which was was a pipeline from for russian gas in directly into Germany and distributed, which undercut Ukraine, which had been the only pipeline at that point in time. Deliberately, uh, he also was spending billions of dollars in in, in deals uh, through, through Deutsche Bank into Germany. So Merkel, you know, was was not the the big promoter that she pretended to be. Um, plus, all of the southern European countries um, were didn't weren't comfortable with the trade agreement. Because they're they're, they're an agricultural-based society. Ukraine is the bed bed basket of Europe. So Ukraine dominated that market. Um, And so the the southern Europeans were not German, uh, Spain, Italy. uh, They were not anxious to do it. Yeah, they
0: saw a threat to their markets.
1: That's correct. When they said no to the subsidy, Yanukovych said, OK, I've got to work this customs thing out. I'm not going to join the customs union. I'm committed still to joining the European Union uh, and signing this trade agreement but I can't sign it, it was coming up in the next week, I can't sign it next week, I've got to work this issue out. At which point, uh, the Europeans started undercutting Yanukovych, claiming that he was being uh, mis- disingenuous, which he wasn't, he was being very open. And this is all public information. Um, so he never did sign the customs union. Never, never did that. Uh, but then there was a, shall we say, spontaneous uprising in Ukraine. Uh, you know, starting in the western part of Ukraine, where the European influences are. Uh, and, uh, and Yanukovych fled against my, my recommendation. I was strongly opposed to him leaving because I thought if he left, it would undercut all the work that we had been doing over the last eight to the ten years. Um, and when he left, I stopped talking to him. I haven't talked to him since that time in 2014. All of this is public information. I deal with it in the book. It's clear that I was not pro-Russia, dealing with Putin, I was inv- I was the linchpin of the exact opposite, and they knew that. I was working with the U.S. Embassy very closely; that uh, they were aware of everything we were doing. Um, and but there was a game going on because and, and in Ukraine, all things are are financial. When had Yanukovych one, certain European interests, including the interests of people like George Soros, were damaged. They didn't get the deals they thought they were going to get because they weren't part of. They didn't support Yanukovych. Um, And so, uh, and that sort of set the foundations for people at the DNC, Democratic National Committee, um, to start undercutting me because they were aligned with other interests in Ukraine.
0: That was in 2015. You were there trying to get into the EU. That didn't work. And then Yanukovych government fell. While you were still there in Ukraine trying to handle this that in 2015, all of a sudden, Hillary's illegal server story hits the press, right? Correct. As a secretary of state, she's got a server that she's doing business on. Okay, so that hits the press. So that's a big hit for her going into what, you know, her election campaign. Late 2015, Obama gets a report on the Hunter Biden pay for play scheme that included Biden's threatening, you know, Joe Biden, vice president, threatening to withhold a billion in foreign aid unless then President Pershenko fired the prosecuting general, right, who was investigating the corruption of Burisma the uh, big gas company, the big energy company, and Hunter's role on their board. Now, were you aware of all this Hunter Biden business while you were in the Ukraine?
1: Yes, I mean not to the detail that I am today, but he—I knew he was in Ukraine, you know, trying to re- get business, um, which I thought was sort of untoward because his father was the link between the Obama administration and Ukraine. And uh, and in fact, you know, was putting a lot of pressure on Yanukovych when he was president to do certain things. Like what? Uh, well, for example, Yanukovych. This, I said this the other day. It broke some news. Yanukovych, against my recommendation, uh, arrested and and tried and convicted the former prime minister Yulia Tymoshenko, who was uh, who was his opponent. Uh, in the presidential contest of 2010. And he did it because she went against her own president, Viktor Yushchenko, uh, you know, the president before Yanukovych, and cut a bad deal for Ukraine with Russia on gas. The contract was up. Yushchenko had negotiated a deal. Tymoshenko, on her own initiative as prime minister, announced she was going to Russia to make a better deal. And the deal she cut was worse than what Yushchenko had negotiated. But it was good for her. Because, contrary to what all the rumors, Yanukovych wasn't Russia's candidate. Tymoshenko was. Because she, she and, and she it's rumored uh, received about a hundred million dollar, shall we say, commission for her, her negotiations, which funded her presidential campaign in 2010. So Yanukovych had all of this. Yushchenko, her, her own president, agreed with all of this. And he said she needed to be indicted and convicted. Well, Biden came to, Ukraine and publicly lectured Yanukovych that you don't go after your political opponents, especially uh, if they may run again uh, if, if for president, and it was very vociferous and threatening. So fast forward to today in Marlago raid, and it's exactly what he went there and publicly cast, uh, castigated on uh, Yanukovych. Um, so I was aware of all of these these murky connections of Hunter. Um, I never did business other than run political campaigns in, in Ukraine because it's a messy, dirty business there. Business is not the way we do in the West, and I was not going to get my hands into the dirty in that respect. But as you correctly said, in December of 2015, they then were looking for a deflection. They were worried about the Biden story publicly popping up uh, in Washington, and so the Democrats, you know, commissioned with some of their Ukrainian people to go to Ukraine to get dirt on me.
0: That was uh, Alexandra Chalupa, right? Alexandra
1: Chalupa. She and was
0: working with the Clinton campaign and the Ukraine embassy in Washington and a network of sources in Ukraine looking for dirt on you.
1: Correct. To deflect from the potential Hunter Biden expose. And they couldn't find any dirt on me because I didn't do, have, I wasn't doing business. doing business. I was doing it was very public, political consulting and helping To to get Ukraine into Europe, not into the United States, and that ultimately led to them having to fabricate uh, information on me, which is the famous black ledger that was done in in August of uh, 2016, when I was chairman of the Trump campaign, and this mysteriously, this one page of a ledger that uh, you know, with my uh, supposed signature, talked about me getting, I think it was twelve million dollars in cash payments. For, for, from Ukraine from the Ukraine government. Well, I never was paid by the Ukraine government ever, uh, any which way, because I didn't work technically for the Ukraine government. Uh, I worked for the Party of Regions because my job was political. But number two, I never got paid in cash either. And number three, it wasn't my signature. <laughs> uh, and number four, they never could produce the actual pay, the one page or any of the pages of the ledger because it was a totally fake document meant to create the headlines that it did create. Uh, in the United States.
0: I'm curious about how it could be used as an exhibit against you uh, without having been vetted.
1: There are a lot of things that shouldn't have been and couldn't have been but were against me uh, in, the, in the whole Russian collusion hoax. Um, but it got the headlines that they wanted. And it uh, it affected me, my ability to be an effective public chairman of the campaign. Um, so because they could find nothing, they made this up within two weeks, by the way, of the ledger being, being published, published by, a Clinton, by a Ukrainian who supported Clinton. Um, within two weeks, the National Anti-Corruption Board, which was set up by the U.S. Embassy and the Ukraine government to root out corruption. So it wasn't a, a Yanukovych group. It was a Poroshenko-Obama group. They said this ledger is fake. It's not real. And they dismissed it. Uh, but that didn't. But nobody... Nobody was willing to write that.
0: Well, whether or not nobody was going to write it, the pro- why would the prosecutor use that if if it had already been dismissed as a fake? Isn't there s- some sort of uh, legal m- malfeasance in that?
1: When you're in the eye of a of a tsunami, you know it's it was impossible to break through with with a lot of lies. I mean, that was just one of them. I mean, the what they indicted me on initially, was violating the Foreign Registration Act, um, which requires... Foreign if, agents
0: right, registration. Right,
1: which requires if you represent a foreign government to in Washington, you have to file, um, which is simply a disclosure. Well, I didn't represent the Ukrainian government. I actually had hired lobbyists, including Tony Podesta uh, uh, and his firm, to do the lobbying in Washington. Um, and so... But... The Black Ledger got the attention of the fair unit at the Department of Justice in August, and they reached out as they normally do in a professional way and reached out to me. And I put them in touch with my lawyer to sort through why I didn't think I needed to file. And we had a conversation for about three months. And then we finally agreed that I would I would file for a two two year period, limited filing. Um, I still didn't think I needed to, but it was going to put the issue to bed, which I was willing to do. And there was no criminal, no criminal charges, no civil charges, no f- fines or penalties. I disclosed, and the matter was finished. Then the special counsel gets appointed, and he calls up the head of the fair unit and says, what's the situation with the Manafort uh, I- issue? She said, there is no situation. I mean, it's been resolved. He's filed, and it's, there's no issue. He said, well, I'm, not, I'm rejecting that agreement, uh, and I'm taking over the matter. So, so that's but,
0: Andrew Weissman who said that the prosecutor who right. was coming after you. Right. Yeah.
1: So, so I had resolved the issue that I got indicted on, as I did with some of the other issues. But
0: what did uh, what was her name? Heather Hunt. Yes. Was Heather called on called during your your court proceedings? Was she called in to testify?
1: No. no. And interestingly, a number of the people who were sitting in on the discussions I was having. People like David Lofman, who was the national, represented the National Security Council at the Department of Justice, who was heavily involved in the, the Russian hoaxing for other matters as well, and is pro-Clinton, and is, you know, it was pro-Clinton at the time, and has been publicly very critical now that he's left the government of uh, of Donald Trump. So, I mean, the cross-connects were- Hold
0: up, hold up. I, I've got to get go back. I, I know I'm like a dog with a bone, but I want to know why your lawyer didn't bring Heather on.
1: Well, we never got to that trial. That was the second. I mean, I had two trials, right? And, and I, I it gets a bit complicated. Although the book lays it out pretty clearly, uh, you know, when they when the first the first indictment was the fair indictment that was in October of two thousand and eighteen, uh, and that was meant to squeeze me, squeeze me. Yeah. To, to talk against
0: yeah to 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 it deliver
1: Trump because when they indicted me, they put on a ten million dollar bond uh bail bond which they knew I didn't have uh, it, John Gotti didn't have a 10 million dollar bond cartel drug lords didn't have a 10 million dollar bond but not only did they put a 10 million dollar bond on me they put a gag order on me uh you know, it's qu- a questionable gag order but uh, you know at that point in time I'd already spent several million dollars I was running out of money I needed to defend myself and I had to make judgments on how where I was gonna put the money in defending my my my, my innocence um, so I never could challenge the gag order. But while I was gagged, they then put me in solitary. During that whole period of time, the government was leaking anonymously to their reporters. Paul oh, Manafort's a traitor. We've got Manafort on this. We've got Manafort on that. Manafort's going to jail. Manafort's been 20 years in prison. Uh, you know All these things and, 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 and that they just made up. The Black Ledger is true. And uh, And the same reporters, by the way, who were getting the favorite the leaks from anonymously on marlago
0: who are uh, these who are these reporters i,
1: I, met, I mentioned name
0: them. them name them
1: michael Isakoff was the principal when they would go to a yahoo um you know and uh and uh, uh, uh evan perez at cnn and, and there are others um the point is all this anonymously was going on so that by the time my trial came i'd already been convicted in the court of public opinion i mean you you read my my wikipedia page you would think I was literally working out of an office in the Kremlin. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it, it, but that's how bad it was. Um, and so when I didn't cave in this initial wave of pressure that they put after the indictment, they then brought superseding charges in February uh, on bank fraud and failure to file a foreign, uh, the foreign bank accounts. And I talk about this on the foreign bank accounts. I gave in 2014, working with the Department of Justice, Uh, and the ukraine government uh, a lot of testimony on uh, voluntarily i offered this up on corruption in ukraine to help them understand a little bit of what i knew i mean not who's doing what but how the system seemed to work and in the course of that i gave the fbi in my deposition all of the bank accounts that i was using they weren't my accounts but that i was using of all of which were then brought into uh the 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 superseding charges against me saying I'd hidden these accounts. i actually given them the accounts and the deposition, names of the accounts and everything else. But what they you know what they were trying to do was was put more pressure on me by dropping these other, and I think it was 32 uh, 18 more charges. There were 32 in all. I, when I didn't cave on that, they squeezed my assistant, Rick Gates, who did have a legal problem. He'd stolen $3 million from me. And not reported any of that income. The only way I found that out was both Gates and I were going to be charged, whatever the date was in February. And the government filed the complaints against both of us that were going to be in charges, but they had not become public yet. They were supposed to be opened on Wednesday or Thursday, I can't remember which day. In the in between the time they filed and the time that the, the record was opened, Gates caved. And but I had already, but I got. The filings against gates that the government had done which laid out case and you know, point by point of the case of the money he took from me and didn't file put him into his own accounts and didn't file so gates had a legal problem uh a tax problem and they got him to say everything that was done by me that he was managing he i directed him to do
0: it's almost like they're implying that you directed him to steal three million dollars from you
1: uh, in fact the judge <laughs> called him out on that because when he testified you know, he, I mean, Gates t- t- and I. I have this this excerpt in the book. Uh, Gates said that uh, Paul knew where all the money was, and he he was paying close attention to it. At which point, Ellis then said, "The judge, uh, did he know that you stole the the three million dollars?" And Gates looked at him just and uh, started sweating bullets and said, "No." And so Ellis said, "Well, and I guess he didn't watch it that carefully, did he?" So those superseding charges were meant to squeeze me further. I didn't draw. I didn't cave. And I went to trial on the superseding charges first. The fair charges were going to be set in the second case. And of the 18 charges, they only convicted me of eight um, based on the testimony. There was no evidence. It was just all circumstantial. Uh, and it was Gates saying, you know, Paul told me to do this. Paul told me to do this. Paul told me to do it, And all the right points that would make me look like I was uh, committing a crime. Uh, and uh, and the, the trial went for four weeks. The, the, the jury deliberated for, I think, almost five days. And, uh, and uh, so it was a very mixed result. And I think, but for the pressure the judge was putting on the jury to, co- to come to some conclusions, uh, I think I could have won all of the issues. But they, when I was convicted, this was in the summer of 20, 2019, I then had three weeks before my D.C. trial was going to start. And, you know, this, this first trial was in, in Alexandria, Virginia. Same media market, you know, everything else. And so I knew I couldn't get a fair trial. In, in the second trial, was, I had, first of all, the judge, Berman Jackson, couldn't have been sitting on the prosecutor's table. I mean, she was so, we just, an Obama-appointed, and so, uh, uh, you know, she we say predisposed.
0: Did your lawyer file for a change of venue?
1: So we filed for a change of venue, and she said no. She said, You could get a fair trial here, which was a joke. Um, and, but she made one concession. She said, I'll let you expand the number of jurors that you void here from the traditional 30 or 35 jurors to 120. And she let us do a questionnaire that would allow us to probe any potential prejudices against me. Well, of the 120 jurors, after we finished the questionnaire and analyzed it, there was one that potentially could have been objective. 92 of them said categorically they hate Trump, and they, and by association, they hate me, and they couldn't give me a fair trial. Of the other 20, of 92 who said they hated me, the other 20 who didn't, say, who didn't say they hated me said they didn't know who I was. And yet they got all their news on a daily basis from CNN, MSNBC, The Washington Post, The New York Times, because we had them identify where they got their news. So it was clear they were lying, because I had just finished what was being heralded as the trial of the century, and it, the, the media exposure on me was you know, you know completely front, you know, all over the place, and these people were saying they had never heard of my name. They didn't know who I was. Well, that was not credible. So the, the, I had a choice at that point in time. <clears throat> Go to trial with a judge who had already said, shown that she was going to rule against me on everything and we're not going to create a fair situation go before and go before a jury that I couldn't pick because there's no way.
0: Was there no way of, of pointing out that the judge herself was not capable of being unbiased?
1: And it's more complicated than that. I mean, yeah. you know, but, but the point is, the jury alone is enough reason. I said to my lawyer, I said, this is going to be another million dollars. Uh, I, I, and I'm not going to win. I mean, I even though I feel comfortable in my legal case, I, I'm not going to win given the way this thing is set up. So we need to cut a deal. And I said, now when you cut the deal and he had his whole strategy of reducing the charges to two and limiting my, my potential time in prison. I said, Now understand something, I'm not gonna lie to Andrew Weissman, you know, in any deal. So they're not gonna be happy with me at the end of the proffering period where I and I spent fifty hours talking to them after we agreed to a plea deal. So I said, This is just me pleading guilty because the third point. That when they this was the case that they were going after all my properties. Even though my time at the Trump campaign was 2016, they were going after properties of mine going back 20 years. Uh and all my income since the 90s, they were coming after, which included, you know, properties and investments I gave to my children. And so they were trying to take their wealth away from them too, me them too. So I needed to get assets you know, switched around. And I was offering more assets of mine to let let, let my kids' assets, you know, be uh, be removed from the forfeiture. So for those reasons, we went and negotiated, and there was a split in the special counsel. Weissman didn't want to do a deal, but uh, but Aaron Zebly, who was the deputy to Mueller, and felt that enough was enough, and they had what they needed, and he and we ended up cutting the deal through him. Um, but Andrew Weissman then wrote my plea plea agreement, which, you know, he made me basically admit to committing every crime in the history of the United States.
0: You knew that was going to happen.
1: I knew that was going to happen. And there was, I couldn't change a word. So when people say, well, you pled guilty to all these things. I said, no, Andrew Weissman pled me guilty on all of those things. Um, But I was caught in a situation where I, uh, I had no choice but to agree to that. However, I then spent, as I said, over the next several months, 50 hours in talking to them about anything they wanted to talk about, which included Russian collusion. And in the course of that, they tried to trick me a number of times to the, and Weissman had his own theory, which I, I give it, I lay out in the book of Russian collusion and the, the motives and the payouts and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and I created a, 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 a path of truth of what really happened. And Weissman was furious, and that's when he filed for the charges against, raised further charges that I was lying to the uh, to the special counsel. Uh, although he never brought those charges, um, and, and so it was a very untoward situation. Um, he wanted me to go to jail for twenty years, which you know I was seventy years old at the time. I mean that was basically a life sentence um, on charges that he concocted, and uh, and on issues that they knew. Were not true, uh, and on issues that I would already resolved, like fair with the U.S. government, like the giving the bank accounts uh, to the FBI in 2014. So, <clears throat> interestingly, on all the bank fraud stuff they brought up, none of the banks were the banks were happy with the loans. The banks supported the loans. The loans were all performing. There was no fraud. But I mean, one of the issues that they said was proof of fraud. Was on one of the properties I I bought for my daughter to live in. It was going to be her home in New York, uh, and she was living there for a while. And in the application, I said it was going to be for personal for uh, uh, personal purposes. And uh, and then she got work out in California. She moved to California, and unbeknownst to me, she rented out the house on Airbnb. Okay, listed it. Well, Weissman said that was a, that proves that my application was fraud. Because this wasn't a a personal investment. It was a commercial investment. And uh, that would have had a different rate. And uh, and so therefore, I had lied and committed bank fraud as one example. That was the environment in which I was dealing. And when I refused to lie and give them Donald Trump, they then uh, asked the judge for no mercy.
0: I want our visit with you, Weissman's theory of collusion as you laid it out in your book. The first thing he says is that the Trump campaign had advanced knowledge of the hacks and leaks.
1: Not true. I mean, there's not one piece of evidence on that.
0: He said that Roger Stone told Trump that WikiLeaks had the Clinton emails. They talk about the hack and WikiLeaks and Julian Assange was saying, that there were no state actors involved in his receiving those emails.
1: Yeah, and in fact, they had me flying to London to meet with Julian Assange at the Ecuadorian embassy where he was uh, he was holding up to avoid extradition, which you know in the middle of the campaign. Which, if it was true, it would have been a very visible event. that would be a record at the embassy. Else. It wasn't true. I mean, my passport showed no trips to Europe when I, during the campaign. Um, uh, and and Julian Assange said, I don't know that Paul Manafort. I've never met him, never talked to him. But that was part of the evidence they were using that uh, that we were linking it, linking it. And his only basis for this, his uh, his contention that Trump knew was because <clears throat> the the dump of the hacked material occurred right before the Democratic National Convention, which by the way, the Friday it was the Friday after our convention. So our convention ended on Thursday. The Democratic convention started on Sunday, and the dump happened on uh, on Friday. <clears throat> but there was no basis other than the dump happened to say we orchestrated it. There was no no tangential lines. But in Weissman world, he declares, and therefore it is, and therefore the media writes it is, and all of a sudden it is, and uh, and so that was the environment
0: right after. The server was broken into, and that was announced. Um, the FBI opens Crossfire Hurricane, focusing on contacts between the Trump campaign and Russia.
1: Two other facts that came out in the Durham investigation. You know, and I wrote, my book went to, went to print the end of last year. So I got the whole first year of the Biden administration and some of the Durham investigation trials. And what we discovered, and it's in my book, is in early July, Clinton instructs her campaign manager, Robbie Mooks, to put out a false narrative that Putin wants Trump to win and is working with the Trump campaign. And Mooks, we know this, and Mook says he, they knew it was not true. And he said under oath he did it. So, And then we also have from the Durham investigation, John Brennan's handwritten notes, uh, that shortly thereafter, Mooks made that public announcement, that Brennan briefed Obama that this was fake. And so the White House knew, Justice Spimer knew, the the CIA knew, and yet two weeks after that, Crossfire Hurricane was started to go find dirt, proving the collusion, which they all knew, was a lie and a campaign dirty trick. And and I lay it all out in the book, so from the very get-go, there was full awareness that this was fake.
0: Do you think they also knew who did it?
1: Who did it mean Hillary?
0: Who sent those emails to WikiLeaks?
1: Who hacked the emails?
0: Bill Binney and his crowd says this was not a hack. This was a download and was sent Uh, to to WikiLeaks. uh, WikiLeaks says, I mean, Assange has said, you know, uh, this was not a state actor involved. And, right. and the other thing that Assange did that was kind of strange around the same time is, is he was giving a reward for anyone who could come up with information on the death of Seth Rich, which is a you know very serious angle that if, if there was any malfeasance, political malfeasance involved in that, uh, that would be a huge thing you'd want to cover up. With oh yeah, Trump did it,
1: right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, and that's exactly right. And but you know, the and the, the left was saying at the time, the Democrats were saying at the time that this is all conspir- conspiratorial garbage. Uh, how could these things happen? Well, we now have seen enough of the conspiratorial garbage to know these things did happen, uh, and and there was, well, there was this underground deep state network that was mo- propagating all of these fake rumors for for their own. Your purposes. So uh, I don't know the answer to your question about uh, uh, you know, the uh, rich situation. But I do know that Trump wasn't involved. Nobody in the campaign was involved. Uh, and there was no evidence ever presented to link any of us to that, the, either of those hacks.
0: The other thing he says is that the Podesta emails released on October 7, 2016 was timed. This is part of Weissman's theory of collusion, the Podesta emails released on October 7, 2016, was timed to offset the release of the Billy Bush tapes. What are the Billy Bush tapes?
1: Talk the about The Billy Bush that. tapes are the conversation that, that Trump had with Billy Bush of NBC uh, that were very sort of crass, uh, misogynistic kind of
0: Oh, talking about grabbing women?
1: Yeah. The- and, and Weissman said this exactly what you just said to me in, in, in my proffer session. And I looked at her and I said, well, actually, I've always thought it was the opposite that the Bush tape was leaked by the Clinton campaign because they were trying to deflect from the Podesta tapes that uh, came out. Uh,
0: oh, my leaked. God. Have you seen those Podesta emails?
1: Yeah.
0: What is your assessment?
1: Well, if anybody was colluding with Russia, it wasn't me. <laughs> then maybe one of the chairmen of the campaign. Well,
0: no, but those Podesta emails are more, not even about the collusion situation. I There's some serious weirdness in those Podesta emails.
1: Yeah, well, but again, as that I said- That nobody I,
0: wants to talk about. I guess you don't want to talk about it either, huh?
1: Well, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's old It's old news now. I mean, the bottom line is- I, you, No,
0: I think it's been buried. I think was, that course, part has been
1: buried. I, I mean, look, we know that Podesta was doing business with Putin's daughter um, and, uh, and, and while he was at the campaign, the Clinton campaign. I'm but talking
0: the, about their social-
1: well, that's it's
0: pretty- well, it it to me, it's part and parcel because they're huge, they're very dark things, very dark things that people don't want to look at. But if I I would ask anybody who's interested to go look at the Podesta emails on WikiLeaks because it's not just about Russian collusion; it's about other things that are very dark very dark
1: you well, have to that, yeah i mean as i say if you want to know what the democrats are doing just look at what they're saying about what we're doing because that we're not doing but they are i mean they're not even creative they just re they change the name of what they're doing and put trump instead of uh clinton or, or biden or whatever uh so the corruption is is deep and it's uh it's pervasive
0: i would say pro-Hillary machine in the various government agencies ran this operation, you know, Asia, and I'm talking about the CIA, FBI, State Department, White House. Okay. But um, I don't think it's, I think in the end, this is a bipartisan issue. And I've spoken to you about this. I think Trump scared the bejesus out of uh, the group of people who uh the globalists I think a man who is a nationalist and who reaches out to the average American the populace not and is trying to make deals um around the world that and and i'm i'm gonna be real clear here i wasn't a trump supporter and i wasn't a hillary supporter i, I you know i can't i couldn't vote for either one of them for various reasons, but, but he clearly, uh, cause I don't do politics really. I'm an investigative reporter, left or right. I, I just want the truth. I don't care what wing it flies in on, I really don't. And so, uh, but the thing that, that was interesting was he came right out and said, I'm for the United States, you know, he wants to protect his country. And uh, he wants his country to get back its manufacturing base and all these things that would indeed rebuild the country. It's true.
1: Yeah, and he did. I mean,
0: there are other things I'm not so crazy about Trump for, but yes, exactly. And they were not those people. I want you to talk about what you think their agenda is, because there are Republicans among them.
1: No, look, when Trump announced for president, he, he announced against the Washington establishment and talked about how he was going to drain the swamp. Well, that included Republicans, too. Right. And, uh, and it, Trump had no relationships with official Washington. Unless somebody had come up from Washington to New York to ask him for money, Democrats and Republicans, he didn't know these people. Um, and so he had no problem lumping them together in his campaign, and some of the people running against him for the nomination, he viewed as part of that establishment and part of that uh, swamp. Um, and so, right until the very end of his campaign, he was uh, when he was the head of the party, he was still campaigning against some Washington, which included some Republicans. And part of his first year as president was undercut because of the Ryan-led House of Representatives, uh, that, uh, that talked about like Trump wanted to deal with the immigration issue in a much more aggressive way yes. in his first year. And Paul Ryan said, let's do that after we deal with the economic plan and everything else. And then Ryan never created a moment for that to happen, uh, as an example. And then Republicans lost control of the house in, in 2018 and the ability to fix immigration was gone forever. And uh, well that was the establishment being sneaky and, uh, And undercutting Trump's ability to fulfill that promise, Uh, so, so right from the beginning, he was the enemy of Washington.
0: I'll never forget during a a debate with all the presidential hopefuls, Trump said something that I it was electrifying. He looked at all of them, and Hillary was there too on the podium, and he goes, "You know, I have given money." to every one of you on this podium, right on this stage right now. And he pointed to Hillary and said, including you. And he said, and when I give money to somebody, I expect something in return. And boy, that truer words were never spoken. That's how it works. And he just laid that bare. And I think the fact that this is a guy who came in and wanted to protect his country. And, and he was pointing out the corruption right there in front of their faces.
1: That was his appeal. I mean, his appeal was he was telling the truth. He was beholden to no one. He was not taking a cam- campaign for the donations. Um, and, the, and the people saw that. And, the, and it resonated. And he was elected president on that message. Um, and the and the and the left and the deep state, including Republicans of Washington, never understood why and how he was elected. They couldn't get it. And I and I talk about this in the book in some detail because the fact that they couldn't get it and were shocked at his election was affected how they dealt with him for the whole four years of his presidency. Yep. Even even Republicans, and and the you know the more he succeeded by keeping his promises improving the economy, making America energy independent you know protecting the borders the more he succeeded it shut down the Republicans to some degree but it didn't convert them it just quieted them because how can they go against a guy who's making doing keeping his promises and making the country better um but when but never even through the impeachment trials when Republicans basically voted for him did they ever enthusiastically embrace him? Ever.
0: There's that Italian philosopher, I can't remember his name right now, who said, it, I'm paraphrasing, he says, people do not dislike other people who do evil as much as it, they dislike those who call it out. That's yeah. why whistleblowers are so, I mean, in a sense, he was a political whistleblower, Donald yeah. Trump. Yeah. Yeah. He and- just came in there and said, you guys are corrupt. I've given all of you money. You don't care about the United States. He started making deals. He started, you know, renegotiating the uh, the bill with the with the UN. He was trying to run the US like a like a tighter business, America
1: you know? first. He had an America yeah. first agenda.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and, and it was and clear to people.
1: That and that went, everything went through that filter. Exactly. Um, and a lot of these a lot of these people are not America first. They're, as you said a few minutes ago, they're globalists. They're part of the Davos group. They want the Great Reset, to use all the buzzwords. Um, and to them, they want America sitting at the table as one seat, not leading the free world.
0: No, and they they don't want America as a nation. They're they're breaking down nations. They're, that's what they're doing is they're breaking the, down the nation
1: nations. State, the nation state is not a concept they believe in. That's correct. Um, and, and the point is they, they want to minimize the influence of the United States, Across the board, and, and have it become part of the collective, uh, which is the exact opposite of uh, the Trump America First agenda, and and that's why they're still going after him, because the American people now finally, and I talk about this in the book, see the difference between uh, and see that it matters who is president, because on the very issues that their lives improved on under Trump, their lives are suffering now under Biden, who changed the policies. Uh, which is why the Mar-Lago raid. I mean, it's meant to deflect and try and minimize or either minimize the, the number of Republicans that have been elected or at least energize some of the Democratic base to turn out to save some of the marginal seats. Um, but it's not going to work because, and the reason it's not going to work is yes, all the news right now is Mar-Lago and this absurd charge that as president he was he was committing such heinous crimes by having documents in a box in his basement. That America's security was was at risk when every day people are saying not oh the country's at risk because of these boxes, but I can't believe I got to pay this at the grocery store. I can't believe I have to pay this and get for gas today. Exactly. And so that's what they're going to carry into the, the ballot box uh, on, on election day. And and so it's not and the red wave is coming, and the, and the Democrats are trying their best to have to reset and lower expectations of a Republican victory. But it's it's not going to work. I mean, you know, just today, a new poll came out, for example, in Georgia, where they were giving the seat back to to Warnock, the U.S. Senate seat. Well, guess who's ahead in Georgia now, the latest polls? Two polls. Herschel Walker. Um, And any race where Republicans are even close, never mind winning, even close on Election Day, they're going to win because the wave is going to be that sweeping. They're going to control the House. I believe they're going to control the Senate by a couple of seats and they're going to win a bunch of state legislative races and taking more state legislatures in the States and winning some school board races. DeSantis, down in Florida in the primaries last week made school boards a priority and knocked off people that, that were part of the critical race uh, agenda as opposed to teaching math and, and science. And, and uh, so it's going to be a way and it's going to be the start of the people Re, uh, re, uh, you know, taking their country, and that's what I talk about in the book. The whole last part of the book is all of these things that you just read happened to me. You're next, uh, I, I say, because if you don't, if you're not silenced by them, then they will come after you. And I use the, the examples. You know, this the, one of the most heinous things that I thought the Biden administration has done. And I talk about this in the book, is to create this disinformation bureau and homeland security so that if this bureau decides you're saying something that's a threat to the nation they could stick you in jail no habeas corpus no right to attorneys like they're doing with these protesters on january 6th i mean that is that's so soviet uh it's it's frightening fortunately it was such a bad idea that biden had to pull it back but they they telegraphed their motive and their attention Uh, And that's why they call school board, go into school board meetings, parents are domestic terrorists. That's what these 87,000 armed IRS agents now are going to be looking for. So they're declaring war, not against Paul Manafort and Donald Trump. They're declaring war against anybody who doesn't cower to their woke agenda and their leftist globalist agenda. And in the book, I talk about the way we stop that is we take back the the, the Congress, uh, and then we take direct back to presidency, and it will be incumbent on the new Congress.
0: I don't think it's a leftist agenda. I think it's a fascist. I think it's well, an Orwello, know. Orwellio fascist agenda for the uh, with the globalists. I don't think it's leftist at
1: all. <laughs> well, I mean, as I said, uh, you know, a few minutes ago, you want to know what they're doing? Just look at what they're saying. Biden's calling us fascists. Well, their agenda is the fascist agenda.
0: Do you think they're trying to turn Trump into a felon before he can run for president?
1: They want to deflect. their Their immediate goal is this coming election. Their secondary goal is to is to uh, to to harm him. But they can't stop him from running for president, even if they indict him, and uh, and even if they convict him. Uh, but they want to. This is impeachment number three. Is what it amounts to, um, and it just shows. They don't understand Donald Trump, because if you wanted him not to run, the one thing he wouldn't do is raid his house, including his wife's closet. But that's how desperate they are. It's the Russia hoax of 2022 uh, to go go after this this espionage charge that's so specious. Uh, And it's it's the same blueprint that they did against me. Uh, that they did against Roger Stone, that they did it against, against Peter Navarro now. Um, but it's not going to work for the reasons I said a few minutes ago. And I think, you know, as I'm telling people, the difference between the Congress in, 23, the, in 2023 that gets elected, uh, this November, from the Paul Ryan Congress, is that this new Congress is going to be filled with America First members of Congress. Because Trump has been paying attention to who's running, and that his agenda is going to be a, the dominant Republican agenda in the new Congress. That's going to make a big difference. And then, if he runs for president, I believe he'll win and he'll have a Congress that will work on his, supports his agenda, not undercuts it. And, and with the experience that he already has, I think he will be able to quickly put the government together and begin and finish the job that he started. Uh, in twenty seventeen.
0: Talk about Adam Schiff because he Schiff because he has uh, figured very prominently in your story and in this entire story, and he continues to figure prominently in it.
1: It's very simple. He's a liar. As chairman of the House Intel Committee during the whole Russia hoax situation, he was saying he has seen damning information that proves Paul Manafort was the link to Russia, that Donald Trump was colluding with Putin. Well nobody else saw that information he put there out a 1300
0: page report didn't
1: he I don't know how many pages it was but but there was there's not any evidence of any of this and even in the in the the, the Senate Intelligence Committee report uh, where they have 90 pages on me being the link to Russia there's no <laughs> evidence there is zero evidence in 90 pages they say that I re- I worked for a Russian oligarch well that's true I worked for him from 2004 or five to 2009. Well, guess what was happening then? Bush had done a realignment with Russia because they were working with them. They thought Russia was moving towards a democratic uh, nation. Obama and Clinton did the Great Reset, uh, pressing the button that didn't work, appropriately so. Um, And and when Russia went bad, they went bad on Ukraine. And they took over Crimea, just marched into Crimea and took it over. What did Obama do? Nothing. Nothing. He, he yelled at them. Uh, then they went into eastern uh, Ukraine and set up autonomous war zones uh, in the Russian ethnic Ukrainian area. Again, nothing. The Ukrainians were asking for weapons. No weapons. They refused to give them. It was Donald Trump who gave them the weapons for the first time? But the point is that in the Senate and committee report, where they're trying to make my, me the link, the only link that they have is they say, uh, based on no weapons again, Constantin Clement, my assistant for ten years, and somebody who worked for John McCain running uh, the IRI in Moscow uh, before me went was in the military and went to language school where some intelligence you know, to intelligence uh, sources go to school to learn languages. Well, he was in the military for two years, which is his mandatory duty, and he then was assigned, uh, you know, to, to to do language translations, uh, tra- trans- translating you know, in various meetings. He, as soon as his time was up, he quit. He didn't stay in the military. He didn't move into any of the intelligence forces. He quit, and he joined the Republican uh, you know, International Institute promoting democracy. And then he worked for me in Ukraine. Uh, and, and, and in the book, I go through a lot more detail. But that was 90 pages. That was the link uh, to, to Russia. Uh, he had no link to Russia. And uh, the only documents that are still sealed from my case, and I talk about this and look at think in a little bit of detail, was by Bourbon Jackson at Weissman's request that showed that Kalemnik was a U.S. asset, not a Russian spy, that he was so important to the U.S. embassy they gave him a code name for his reports that were sent from Kiev back to Washington at the State Department. And everybody knew this. I mean, Weissman knew it. Mueller knew it. A lot of the media knew it. But, um, They all covered it up because other than Kalemnik, who was a Russian, Ukrainian Russian, they had no other link. There was nothing else. So 90 pages of the Senate report, that's all they had. Uh, Nothing in the Mueller report, nothing. Uh, But Adam Schiff saw this damning evidence that's going to prove that Trump and Manafort were working with Putin. And of course, nothing ever came out.
0: This is a very, very serious situation because these are operatives in our government agencies. And I'm particularly worried about the ones with guns, you know, the CIA and the FBI who have also been part of this whole effort to... And now
1: the IRS.
0: (laughs) And the, yes, to get rid of Trump and to get rid of those around him who are um, working with him. Do you fear for his life?
1: Um, well, I mean, there's a legitimate reason to. Yeah, he doesn't. He's not going to stop doing what he's doing. He's not going to let them cower him. Um, but, uh, but the rot is so bad. The stink is so bad that the American people now have reassessed their, uh, impressions of the FBI and where it's dropping like a rock Yeah, and, uh, and that what the new Congress has to do is not make retaliations, but they have to expose the corruption, they have to expose the bias, and they have to call it out. These whistleblowers that have been coming forward will help do that. Jim Jordan is going to chair the Judiciary Committee, and he's already committed to investigating it. Um, I mean, and they need to call it out now. As long as Biden is president, all you can do is shine a light on the corruption, uh, because the Justice Department is going to have to take actions. And Merrick Garland is not going to do anything like that. Um, But it becomes one of the reasons why we need a Republican president in 2024. And if Trump runs, it'll certainly be part of his clarion call.
0: In the very beginning of your book, you say scariest of all to the swamp was the fact that they knew that the secret of their all encompassing violations of American constitutional rights was about to be exposed in all of its ugliness and illegalities. So. My question to you is, do you think Hillary Clinton imagines herself in jail or Jim Comey or or Brennan or any of these people? Do you think any of these people imagine themselves going to jail? And what do you think they will do, given what they've already done, to make sure that doesn't happen?
1: They'll do anything they can. I mean, including as, as Clinton did you know, hiding the hiring of Perkins Coeur to uh, uh, to hire Glenn Simpson and GPS Fusion. I mean, there's nothing that is beyond them in their uh, self-survival, you know. uh,
0: Self-preservation,
1: yeah. Yeah. And, you know, again, the, the duplicity and hypocrisy is very evident. Hillary Clinton's server had lots of classified top secret documents on it. And we know it was hacked by the Russians, the Chinese, the Romanians, the Ukrainians. Um, That that wasn't a national security threat, according to James Colby. Donald Trump's documents, which he has the right to have as president, were in a box in his basement locked up with no access to to servers and, and therefore no access to being hacked. That's more serious threat to American security than Hillary Clinton's server. Well, that's a joke. Of course it's not true. Uh, and and if, the, if there was a process contrary to what Merrick Garland said that was not completed yet and trying to get the documents, but it's a, it's a it's a it's a so it's subterfuges. It, they don't really want the documents. They want to deflect the attention. They want to create some hysteria, and uh, and they're effective at doing it. But they're not effective at then having there be a penalty for it because it by it always comes out what the truth is, and the truth always shows that the, what the Democrats are saying, it was a political ploy, not a reality. And whether it was Russian hoax, Ukrainian, phone call to the Ukrainian president, holding documents in boxes in the basement, the American people get it. And this is what the left doesn't understand, is that they do have a political intellect. And it may take a little while to sort through all of the obfuscation and fog, but the American people generally always get it. And they figure this one out. They do get this.
0: The American people are watching as, as all this unfolds. What they don't realize they're watching is a full abuse of their abusive use of their tax dollars. People are out there sweating to make all to make their money. And their money is being sent spent on these bogus attack campaigns. And that alone, that alone, who's going to pay for that? Who's going to uh, give them back their money that has been just wasted on this fight?
1: Well, no one is going to give it back. But the key is to stop it from being spent in the future. And, uh, and that's what a Republican Congress has got to put the, shine the light on, and that's what a Republican government needs to then go after. I mean, uh, I think I've mentioned to you before. In the 2016 campaign, one of Trump's campaign rally cries was lock her up, lock her up. Well, he got elected president. He didn't lock her up.
0: Why Biden's, did he do that?
1: Biden's campaign theme was, I'm going to unite the country. And he's been the most divisive president going back to the Civil War time.
0: Why didn't Trump lock her up?
1: Because he understood the principle that in a, if you're going to be the leading democracy in the world, You don't put your political opponent in jail.
0: Even if your
1: political opponent is a criminal? Well, yeah, even if if the political opponent is a criminal. But then we're
0: we're a third world country.
1: That standard is gone now. now. Biden has has destroyed that standard. And he, of all people, will have something to fear. Um, You know, I find one of the untold stories. Because it's not a good story for the left and the Democrats, is that Trump during his four years of president never was accused of any corruption? I mean, there, there were, I mean, he, he, he was, there was no ties to business during his, his time as president. Biden is buried in conflict, buried in it, whether it's Russia or China or Ukraine.
0: I swear to God, if I see one more picture of Hunter Biden with his you know, whatever's hanging out and, you know, with these prostitutes, I've had enough of that. That's
1: not even the danger. The danger of the Biden laptop is the corruption of pay for play.
0: Well, no, I mean, obviously. Yes. And and,
1: and so. Well, also
0: to have, to have a son like that, he's a national security risk, isn't he? If If you're doing pay for play with him and he's, also, you know, he's a crackhead and doing this, all this other stuff. He's a national security issue.
1: But the point I'm getting at is Biden has now destroyed the standard of not going after your not only your pr- pr- predecessor, but a potential future opponent. He's destroyed that standard, just like the Democrats in the House have made impeachment into an ordinary tool of the majority in the House, not as yes. an extraordinary remedy. That the founding fathers had for gross malfeasance and negligence. So I mean, they've changed all the standards. They tried to do it with the in the Senate with the uh, you know, the the sixty vote culture rule um, because anything that gets in their way or they think they can use to their advantage, trust it and be damned. They will do it.
0: I was reared in Haiti, member of the morally repugnant elite. My mother's family had a very successful business down there. My father was a military attaché when he met her and married her. Okay. I know what how the morally repugnant elite think and operate. I mean, Haiti's a very small microcosm, but I know that both sides, Republican and Democrat, at a certain level, protect each other. You just mentioned that. You don't go after your political opponent. But I will tell you, from the perspective of the American people, that is quite galling, because we have to live by the rule of law. My God, we have to live by the rule of myriad laws. There are so many laws in this country; you could you could break the law, you know, any at any minute. Okay, and it seems like the political elite have always been protected, always been protected. And this has got to stop because this is how we've gotten to where we are. Would you not agree?
1: I think' it's a, it's a, it has had a major impact on where we are today, yes. And it's got to be exposed and then when we take back the White House, it's got to be uh, if crimes have been committed, they got be they got to be t- pursued. It's that simple. And, and I believe that that's the direction we're heading in now. Thanks to the Democrats.
0: We've come to the end of our time. Please tell the audience, once again, the title of your book and where they can find it.
1: Thank you. It's, it's called Political Prisoner, uh, Persecuted, Prosecuted, but Not Silenced. As you can tell, I haven't been. And uh, it, it deals with everything from the beginning of the Trump campaign right up until la- the December of last year and all the issues we've been talking about in more detail. It can be bought. It's it, it's in the bookstores now. It's 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 live, and it also can be bought online at Amazon or at Barnes and Nobles or at uh, Simon and Schuster.
0: This book, I think, is a course on political corruption in the United States that everybody should take. They, it, it's a must read. Must it's very easy to read. Mister Manafort has done a very good job of telling his story. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today.